The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. everyone. Welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast, episode 180. You have your host, Shelby and Kevin. Hello. And we're so glad you came back to listen to another episode. And this chapter we're discussing today is 3rd Nephi chapter 17, and it's one of my favorites. It's an incredible chapter. I mean, all of 3rd Nephi is incredible, but I really like this one because this is when he blesses the little children. And I just think that's so precious now that we have a daughter. I just picture Adeline, you know, going up to the Savior and being encircled and these angels ministering to them. It's just so heartfelt to think about. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool insights that we're excited to to share and discuss today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in. All right, chapter heading. Jesus directs the people to ponder his words and pray for understanding. He heals their sick. He prays for the people using language that cannot be written. Angels minister to and fire encircles their little ones. So here we go. Now, if I can speak right from the beginning, I have been so excited to talk about this. And I just went and found the scriptures really quick because I've been thinking about it all week. And now I have the reference for you. So right in the beginning here. Jesus um, looks around because he's been speaking to the multitude for a while now. Just remember that. And he says to them, behold, my time is at hand, meaning that, you know, I got to go, right? (laughs) Like I got to go to the other tribes. I have other things that this, not the Savior, that my father, Heavenly Father, would have me do. However, he looks around and he says, I perceive that ye are weak that ye cannot understand all my words, which I am commanded of the Father to speak unto you at this time. So I stopped right there and I, I asked myself the question, what is it, what, what do you mean weak? Like, how are these people weak, right? What is he talking about? And, you know, if you continue in that sentence, it says that you cannot understand all my words. And so then I was prompted to go back to Alma when Alma is talking to his son, sorry, Helaman. No, sorry, his son is Helaman. Alma is talking to his sons here, but specifically to Corianton. Because we know Corianton had a harder time keeping the commandments of God, right? And here he starts talking to him in around verses 39 through 42. And we won't go into 39, but in 40, 41, And 42, he says at the very beginning of each chapter, in the first verse, he says, I perceive that thy mind is worried. And then in 41, same thing, your mind has been worried about this, this, this. And then in 42, he says, "Um, this doth worry your mind, which he cannot understand. So he has this worry, he has this lack of understanding. And so it brought me back to here we have Corianton, someone who's struggling to understand the commandments. 
he is weak in that sense, right? This is not like a physical weakness. This is a mind weakness of not understanding. And so the key here in 3 Nephi 17 that Christ perceives is, hey, I can see that you're weak because you're not understanding my words. So there's some lack going on in your mind. So I want you to go home and ponder these things so that you can be prepared for tomorrow so that you can understand. And that just was like the biggest testimony builder to me of Christ saying, like teaching to understanding, but also like showing love and mercy. Like he had things he had to get going to do, but he said, no, I'm going to stick around because I can tell that there's some lack of understanding. And I really want you to understand moving forward because it's so important that I have to teach to your understanding. And it was just a really cool way to see an example in the scriptures of somebody else like this, right? Corianton. Also, I think we can put ourselves in his shoes and in the shoes of the people here that there's been plenty of times where I haven't understood something. And weakness sometimes is looked at as, what's the word? Um, Like you're not, I don't know, weakness is something that's not perceived as like a, a good quality, right? Right. I don't know what the word is. I can't put my finger on it or it's my a, tongue on it. It's like a flaw. Yeah. But here I see weakness as the way to become stronger, right? The teaching right. to the understanding. It's, yeah, you may be weak right now, but that's okay. Like, we all have to find understanding and we all need to be stronger and that weakness will become a strength, right? Either 1227. We also touched on it recently in our study of the New Testament. Um, I, it was in, I believe, Second Corinthians. Uh, I, I will have to remember the chapter uh, because my, my companion uh, at, uh, at church in our Sunday school uh, companion teacher, he is the one who brought it up. So I'd have to review what chapter and verse it was. But yeah, it goes right along with Ether 12. You know, these weaknesses are usually <laughs> the pathway to actually being humbled and then receiving more light and knowledge because of our state of mind. I also have to correct, I misspoke here. When he's saying all this in the very beginning, he's saying, go home and so that you can understand these things because I perceive your weakness because he's going to go to the lost tribes. And it's when he's about to leave that he then stays and looks upon them um, in that moment. I kind of combined the two into one, and I wanted to make sure to differentiate where he said, I will tarry with you a little bit more. Right. Well, something that's interesting is also, you know, in this perception that we read about, and that's that's the ability um, that... Jesus had to discern, right? He often discerned the needs and even the intents of others' hearts. And we read that constantly throughout the New Testament, uh, through his, through the Gospels. And so it really is a gift of the Spirit that we also can possess, right? And I know, Shelby, you, uh, I believe you would say that you definitely have recognized the gift of discernment in your life. 
that's mm-hmm. that's definitely something that you you really do possess. Yeah, I think so. I think it's been something that I've developed over mm-hmm. like once I realized, you know, what discernment even is and then how that goes into like your daily life, right? Even discerning with like little things like TV shows. Like is this TV show really good for me or is it not? Some are pretty obvious. So I think by practicing with the obvious things, you can then get into the things that seem a little bit more tricky, like in the gray areas. Right. Well, now I wanted to share some of my thoughts about Jesus, you know, telling the people, hey, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and leave. Right. Y'all go to your homes. You ponder upon these things. Um a way that the Lord also teaches people, right? Go and ponder on these things. Don't, you know, think about it um, and and then reconvene, right? On the morrow is basically what he's saying. He's going to come to him again. And he invites him to pray. Ask of the Father in my name that you may understand. So recognizing, again, their weakness and the the necessity of the dependence on the Father and thereby the Holy Ghost and Jesus Christ to understand all things. I know what I was going to say, and it ties perfectly with what you just said. Weakness is not a bad thing, especially in this context, because it's through the weakness that they realize they have to depend on Christ, just like you said. That's what I was trying to say. Weakness doesn't equal bad. And I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm weak, so that's bad. No, especially with this new definition of weakness of not understanding, you just don't understand. Think of if you've ever learned a language before. Oh my goodness, you were super weak in the beginning, right? You had no understanding, but you grew that understanding. You slowly got stronger. So I, that's what I wanted to say. And you brought that back by sharing that insight just now. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, this is tied into human nature, right? We, we admittedly are weak and it's only when we become strong that the tendency to become prideful is introduced. And that's when it's really important to subordinate our ego and remain weak. But weakness in in humility mm-hmm. right that 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 uh that desire to you know remain humble and keep learning right keep receiving that further light and knowledge so at this point in verse 5 it says that when Jesus had thus spoken He cast his eyes round about again on the multitude and beheld they were in tears and did look steadfastly upon him as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer with them. And he said unto them, Behold, my bowels are filled with compassion towards you. Couple things. You know, Jesus, we talked about last episode how he is the good shepherd, right? And think about that in terms of two two ways, right? The good, wholesome, you know, virtuous, um, kind shepherd, you know, tending to his flock, 
right? Um, as opposed to the negligent shepherd, right? Who's just letting them wander all over, get eaten up by wolves and, you know, go, go hungry and, you know, not get to the, the best pasture to feed in and things like that, right? So he's the good shepherd, right? He's always going to be there for his people, especially when they are keeping their covenants. And then sometimes even when they're not, right, he's still there for them. They just don't know it. And then I wanted to put that into the context of ministry, right? The, the ministry that we have to mourn with those who mourn and stand uh, and, and help those who stand in need of comfort and whatnot. You know, our baptismal covenant and the agreement to take upon ourselves the name of Christ, stand as witnesses for him in all places and at all times. And, you know, when we perceive that there's a need uh, of those around us, we need to have that compassionate spirit. So, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, this was a couple nights ago, uh, but I read through Nephi 17 after we kind of had a little, uh, not fight. Argument. Argument, yeah. And I went and read through Nephi 17. <laughs> and then I got to verse 6 that Christ, you know, said, my vows are filled with compassion towards you. And then I was like, hmm. I was like, let me go look up what compassion is. Okay, so I, I found this article um, from Psychology Today, and I just wanted to define compassion here. It says, compassion is an empathetic understanding of a person's feelings. And then it says, compassion is when you relate to someone's situation and you want to help them. You see someone in trouble and you feel like pitching in. And then they go on to define empathy as um our feeling of awareness toward other people's emotions and attempt to understand how they feel. And so to me, this, this definition of compassion here about you see this response of other people, you have that empathy even, um, but then you have a desire to then do something to help them is what that compassion means. So it makes a hundred percent sense that the next thing he says is, are there any sick bring them here, right? Like I have to do something to help you. That to me, that's the essence of compassion. And it can start very little. Like you see someone drop something at their grocery store and it's their wallet and they keep walking and you're like, oh no, I, I want to help you. I have compassion towards you. And it starts in these really little ways, right? And then empathy is obviously trying to understand. There's no empathy. I mean, <laughs> I say there's no empathy here, but Obviously, Christ atoned for their sins, so he does 1,000% understand what they're going through. Um, but in this example, I mean, compassion is just all over, right? I'm going to heal you. I'm, I My vows have mercy and compassion for you. Yeah. He, again, perceives that they desire that he show them what he had done for their brethren in Jerusalem. Right. He says, for I see that your faith is sufficient that I should heal you. So it wasn't just because they wanted it. Right. It's also because they qualified for those blessings as a result of their faith. Right. As a, as um, 
as a result of the things that they did up to this point, right? Because these are a covenant-keeping people. I, I hammer on that every single episode as we go through Third Nephi because the people that we're, we're getting to study about are the people who were prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. And we want to be like those people in the latter days so that we can be prepared to see him in the flesh. So, now, did you have something to add? I feel like I needed to wrap up my story of our argument we had. Oh, okay. Because I kind of just left it hanging. I read about compassion and then I thought, what am I not having compassion towards with Kevin right now? Mm. And I don't know if you remember, because we were up that night, we talked a lot. Um, I then started asking you questions about when you came back in the room. And <laughs> I was asking you questions like, what's going on? Or what, you know, just these things, right? To try to understand more of your point of view and to try to help you. And I knew that you really liked your head rubbed. So I started rubbing your head too later that night. So you can literally take this into your relationships and understand it. And I don't say that to to boast, but only to give a testimony of <laughs> the principles here in live action from reading the scriptures and doing what you should be, right? And then de-escalating um, an argument that you have, right? Yeah. With understanding and compassion towards that person. Yeah. So I just felt like I had to wrap that up real quick. Sure. Um, the other thing that I was going to say is, uh, all the multitude goes forth, right? When he asks who has sickness and who is afflicted in verse nine, it says all the multitude is one accord did go forth because there was not one person that did not need healing, right? right? We all need that healing. I believe it's president, not president. Maybe he was a president, but I believe it was Elder Holland who made that statement in some missionary talk that every single person went forward. And that takes a lot of time to be with each of those people, right? And heal them and have a one-on-one -on -one moment with them. I have something else to, to add, but since you read that verse, I that, that word accord jumped out to me. In verse 9, with one accord, the multitude did go forth with their sick and their afflicted um, and, and brought them to Jesus. And I thought, I want to know, and I know what that means, right? It's one, one likeness, right? One uh, common mind, right? One, one common will. Almost like Zion. For sure. <laughs> uh, interesting that they all wanted to help their weaker, afflicted brethren, right? There was not, <laughs> there wasn't like a stepson somewhere who was like, eh, like my mother-in-law or like whatever, my or my stepmom. <laughs> she 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 can just wait, <laughs> you know. She can wait. No, like we're gonna take her. So there's that, but I wanted to go. And I, I pulled up the uh, 1828 Webster Dictionary. And I wanted to know, what did Joseph Smith understand the word accord to mean in this context? 
and I just wanted to share a couple of the uh, the different meanings of it in different contexts. So the first is an agreement or agreement in general, not an agreement, but agreement, harmony of minds, consent or concurrence of opinions or wills. So that that makes sense with what we talked about. And then the fourth definition down says will, voluntary or spontaneous motion used of the will of persons or the natural motion of other bodies and preceded by own. So that was interesting too, almost like this was this was natural for these people to help one another, right? And move toward the Savior as he called them to come. Very, very insightful, I thought. It makes sense, too, with this covenant relationship that we have with the Savior that we naturally want to move towards him and be around him as we learn of him, as we listen to him, as we do his will. So as they've sat here already being taught all these marvelous things, of course, when he invites them, it's a natural thing to want to heed that invitation because, well, first of all, you're, I'm sure it's a much easier to do in his, like, his literal presence, but I think that's why it's so insightful for us today as we have the literal presence of a Holy Ghost with us to be promised always. And the Holy Ghost is a God, right? And so these things come natural as we keep the Holy Ghost in our lives and move along the covenant path, right? Walk in the path. It's, it's there. We don't have to worry as long as we're doing our best and trying our best. We are on that covenant path with the Holy Ghost naturally doing these things as this group mentioned with one accord. Now, before we go on, I wanted to share, I think, my my biggest takeaway from <laughs> like, this. Like mine in the beginning with right. the mind. <laughs> Definitely. So I thought about this week because we are coming up on General Conference. I am so excited, you guys. It is going to be awesome. And so that that was on my mind, and I was reviewing this chapter, getting ready for the podcast, obviously, and I I was my mind was called to a couple years ago, a situation where the church came out and announced that hey we're not doing Saturday evening sessions anymore, because for a while, for a long time. They were priesthood sessions, right? They were the... They would swap. Um, n Not back in the day. Like, back in the day, it was always priesthood, priesthood session. Oh. Why in my mind was it always swapping? Because that's what they did change it to. Well, yeah, for, for... For a brief time. A brief time, like in 2020, um, okay. April of 2020, they did a general women's session that evening i remember because we were in provo oh excuse me we weren't we weren't in provo <laughs> we were we were in alpine okay um visiting Aubriana, yeah our good friend shout out to the rice family we love you and we were watching conference and me and and uh, the boys went to j-dogs 
because it was the women's session, right? Which usually is uh, it's the other way around, right? The in in my experience back when I first joined the church and through you know most of the twenty um the twenty whatevers was that the uh Saturday evening session was a priesthood session, right? But that all changed um in June of twenty twenty one. They came out and they announced that hey starting this October, October twenty twenty one, we will discontinue the Saturday evening sessions. And they kind of came, they, they made it clear that the reason they were doing that is because, well, now we aren't doing a priesthood session or a women's session, respectively. They're just general sessions and we, all of them are now general. So we're just going to, we're going to do away with that one. And then come about a month later. In July, actually July 27th. What year? Of the same year, a month later. 2021? Yeah. So, twenty June of 2021, they announced that they're discontinu discontinuing the Saturday evening session of General Conference. And then, about a month later they come back and they release a statement to the church. And they say that, hey, in June, we announced changes to the next general conference wherein the Saturday evening session would no longer be held. They say this de decision was based on changes in technology that make it possible for all members and friends to view each session of general conference including the women's session and priesthood session. We recognize, but th then they say this, we recognize the increasing challenges facing members of the church worldwide in our day. An important way to fortify against these challenges comes through hearing the word of God. Therefore, after additional study and prayer, we have felt impressed to continue to hold the Saturday evening session of general conference. So, here's an example in the latter days of the Church of Jesus Christ, the leadership of the church coming out and saying, "Hey, we're we're going to we're going to stop that, right? We're going to we're going to change something." To liken it unto our scriptures that we're reading today, Jesus is saying, "Hey, I'm going to I'm I'm going to go back to my father. It's my time. I'm going to go to my father and y'all go and ponder the things that I've taught you. And I'll come on the morrow. But then a special need was perceived. And so he tarried with them longer and he, he healed the sick. And then he goes on in a moment. We'll talk about the blessing of the children and more teaching. And so that was just an an awesome reflection that I had on had and and it really went well with this chapter this week and I remember I felt like I felt 
very sad. And let, let's I, go. I did too. Let's go and and how did the people how did the people respond when he said that, that he was going? They he had said tears. Tears. They were in tears and did look steadfastly upon him as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer with them. And when they said, "Hey, no more Saturday evening session." I mean, I didn't I didn't cry, <laughs> but I definitely was looking steadfastly um I was going to appreciate those other sessions that much more. I knew that. So I, I thought I thought this was funny that you said I didn't cry because the tear note there's a, a the tear note sorry the footnote for tears in tears verse five says God love of love of God so I think even if you didn't physically cry here you know with this modern day example you still had this love of God that was longing like. I want this. Like, don't take it away from me. That's how I felt. I was like, no, I, I, I want the words. Like, we only get them every six months. Like, give me, give me a Sunday evening session too. Like, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take six sessions of conference instead of well, five, right, or however many there. Right. So I just, I don't know. I felt the same way you did, and I didn't cry either. But I did have a love of God and His words and the leaders that we get to hear from. And so I think it's great, a great um example that you gave and i'm grateful for your inspired thoughts <laughs> no problem <laughs> so moving on in this chapter the this, children it's so good the little children so in verse 11 after they are healed oh wait verse 10 let's talk about this they did all, both they who had been healed and they who were whole, bow down at his, Jesus's feet, and did worship him. And as many as could come for the multitude did kiss his feet, insomuch they did bathe his feet with their tears. Now, I was about to talk about some connection to like General Conference where I was like, how how extremely grateful I was, you know, for the general conference. But as I as I finished reading that verse, my heart was pricked as I read that they did bathe his feet with their tears. And at first I thought, well that's that's hyperbole or something, right? Like that's certainly, you know, I shouldn't take it literally. It's just kind of like it's a it's a, a way that Mormon like wrote it to make it more eloquent or something. Mm. But when was the last time that Jesus was around feet being bathed? It was right before his crucifixion and death. He was washing the feet of his apostles. Right. Mm. And I'm not prepared to make like the connection or like talk about everything that I think about that, but that, that didn't come to my mind for no reason. So I just wanted to offer that as a, a point of study for anyone who's interested, including myself. If I can, um, this is, uh, I don't think this is a church source, but it's a Christian source and it, it talks about, you know, 
the kissing of feet. I was just going over this very briefly as Kevin was talking. Um, it's referencing Mary kissing Jesus's feet. Um, but it says that it's not surprising, right, that they chose, that Mary chose to kiss Jesus's feet. And here it says, um, all kissing is indecent, save it in three cases, the kiss of the high office, um, the kiss of reunion, or the kiss of parting, parting. And so that high office means like highness or greatness. And so it makes sense, especially in Mary's case, it says Mary is like most accessible part of Christ to be able to kiss because it was commonly on the head was his feet. So it makes me wonder those who were, you know, limp or couldn't maybe bring up to eye level, right? It probably was easier for them to bow down at his feet and kiss his feet instead of, you know, maybe his hands or his, his head or whatever in that context as well, just literal. Well, it certainly shows I mean, they're all whole now. They they're healed. So you know, I don't I don't think they were brought low in stature because of their infirmities. They were brought low because of their their they they were condescending their, below their gratitude, him. right? And so, if they were kneeling there, it was because they chose to uh, worship God in in that in that. Uh, prostrated position, right? Which reminds me of every knee shall bow and mm-hmm. every tongue confess, right? That, yeah. That Jesus is the Christ. So, I love that. Now, mm-hmm. for the little children. For a little Addie girl. Little side note, this is probably not necessary. My favorite general conference prep talk is from... I believe it's one of the 2017s. I can't remember which. 2017. It's the very last talk of the conference. It's by Neil L. Anderson or Neil A. Anderson. We Neil L. Anderson. We always get that mixed up. Or at least I do. <laughs> and it's called The Voice of the Lord. And he begins with saying... He begins his talk saying, a comment for the little children. Yes, this is the last session of conference. And yes, I'm the last speaker. (laughs) So I thought now we're saying now for the little children, we have to consider the little children. And Jesus Christ, he considers all of us as his children, right? Mm -hmm. Children of, of, uh, of the covenant. We're all children because we learn from him and he loves us. Right. And so he commands that their little children, children should be brought. And so they brought their little children and set them down upon the ground round about him. And Jesus stood in the midst and the multitude gave way till they had all been brought unto him. Now, we know that there were, what, 25,000 people in this multitude? 2,500, right? Maybe. I don't think it was 25,000. We'll fact check it. But <laughs> the the idea that, you know, there had to have been a lot of children present, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of children round about Jesus right now. And, you know, we talk about the people who were brought low before him. Yes, 
2,500 people in this multitude. We fact-checked it. And I don't know. I just, again, this, this, the position of the multitude in relation to Jesus being low, being, you know, subordinate to him, but, but him not demanding it. It's just natural. It's just the way it turned out. Right. I don't know. I just really, I really, I really appreciate the the visual, like the imagery of this <laughs> chapter more than anything, because it's so intimate. Right. What I love about this is the, the phrase that stood out to me was that Jesus stood in the midst of these little children. Right. He is in the midst of the children all around him. And what does he decide to do? He tells the multitude to kneel down to the ground and then he kneels with them. I'm assuming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus groaned within himself and said, Father, I am troubled because of the wickedness of the people of the house of Israel. That's the first, we don't get the words of this prayer, right? All of it in 15, it says, um, and the things which he prayed cannot be written and the multitude did bear record who heard him. So we don't get the entire prayer that he prayed, but we do get that he's troubled because of the wickedness of the house of Israel. And that he said these words. And I found it very interesting that he is placing the children closest to him in this prayer because they are the rising generation. They are the future of the house of Israel. And so they are the ones that need the most support and that need it. And it makes me think of our youth today and even our littles, right? Our little, little babies that just come into this world. They need Christ in the midst of them. And it's our responsibility as parents to make sure that we are putting Christ in the center of their lives always so that they can have the best support to be who they were meant to be in this Latter-day gathering, right? Wow, I love that. So I just, I, it's just no coincidence to me that that's what he prays for. And that the children are in the middle of them, supported by everybody else around them who's older and who's learned a little bit more, <laughs> right? And and then the fact that the rest of the things that <laughs> he prayed, we don't even know necessarily, or that it was just, it was, I've been in prayers before where I just can't explain or I can't say the words, but I can express the feeling of that prayer and that it was powerful and that the spirit was definitely there. And so that's the kind of feeling I get here with these with this multitude. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and read verse 17? It says, And no tongue can speak, neither can there be written by any man, neither can the hearts of men conceive so great and marvelous things as we both saw and heard Jesus speak. And no one can conceive of the joy which filled our souls at the time we heard him pray for us unto the Father. Right. I just think that's such a powerful thing, that statement. Like, no one can understand unless you are there. And what's awesome is that at this point, Jesus arises. <laughs> so great was the joy of the multitude that they were overcome. So I guess they, they didn't rise with him initially. 
But then he spake unto them and bade them arise. And they arose from the earth. And then he comments on, now behold, my joy is full. Okay, now that you, my people, are healed and whole, and that your children have been blessed to carry on this covenant nation, now my joy is full. And because, uh, because of their faith, which he perceives that they have great faith, he knows that they are on the right track. And, you know, what immediately comes to my mind is what the Lord said, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the eternal life and immortality of, of man. You know, that's, that is God, the Father, and Jesus Christ's soul focus. That's all, that's all they spend their time doing is trying to exalt man. And uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see it here in the scriptures, in this in this context, in this in this humble context. And like you said, Kevin, after this prayer, their little ones are blessed one by one, right? And uh, the multitude is continually weeping, um, as I'm sure I would be if I were in that multitude. And then at this point, he says, "Look at your little ones," and when they look to behold them, their eyes are then cast towards heaven and the heavens are opened and angels come down and encircle these little ones with fire and minister unto them. And and they were given eyes to see that, right? You know, that, that was going to happen regardless whether or not they saw the angels themselves, right? There are angels around about the the house of Israel, um, and have been all throughout time. We, we get to see that sometimes in the scriptures, like here. We also see that when uh, angels minister unto people, right? Um, and then even Jesus, he had an angel minister unto him in the Garden of Gethsemane when he needed that. And so... These angels, you know, we we don't always know exactly who they are. Sometimes we do. But I know that, Shelby, you've had tender experiences, and, and we have heard of these experiences where people have, have a certainty that they feel the presence of those who have gone before, right? Um, that they are there to strengthen them and, and support them from the other side of the veil. You know what I just thought about is the spirit world, mm -hmm. obviously, right? Where is where a lot of these souls dwell, spirits dwell right now. Um and Christ had just been resurrected. So this mm. may have been like one of the first times that the spirit world, you know, was able to be seen or people were given eyes to see or hear. Well, we don't know, we don't really know who these angels were, right? And and what their relationship to these 
keep this this multitude was right is are they angels of you know being people again like i said who have gone on before you know is I, uh, I would imagine so well and and even you, then you know this is all me assuming well of course and I, and this is this is the this is some conjecture at the end of the episode the end of the chapter um but i i think you know was uh was enos there right was Nephi of old there seeing his posterity um because you know kind of put through the ringer <laughs> right um but now in the presence of the Lord and then also those who have not had not yet come right I, I always now that we have Adlin in <laughs> our lives I will sometimes reflect on times in my life that I felt comforted perhaps by an angel, perhaps by uh, someone on the other side. And now I wonder, was it Adeline, right? Was she supporting dad, you know, when he needed it, knowing that I would support her and mortality, mm -hmm. right? And so, and, and the need, right? Not, not, not just because of, of family love, but because like, Hey, I need you to be strong because I'm going to come and I'm going to need you to help me. Right. I need your faith to be on point. I need you to be strong. And so I'm going to strengthen you with what I have. And so, and you know, all, all the only reason that these things are are coming out um you know is because this chapter is so much about this love and and uh unity between the house of israel uh from all the way back from adam into the eternities when we're all sealed as as god's family and so this is just a wonderful time in, in the history of this people, but also the history of the world, that a, a scattered flock of sheep get to hear their shepherd's voice and get to be, get to be ministered to by him in, in, the, per, in the flesh, in person. It's a beautiful chapter. Mm. Well, it's not, and it's not over. I mean, the the chapter is over, but his ministry to the people here, um, in it's not done. It's not. It's not done. Next week, we're going to talk about the sacrament, La Santa Cena, and then we get into the, um, the just everything. It's just awesome. So excited. It just keeps going. I, I was looking forward. I was like, how many chapters are in 35 again? And I was like, oh, man, we're already halfway through. And so we've got to just like just like general conference. We we can't get enough. But <laughs> um, oh, and we'll have a, a guest on for this episode. We're really excited. He actually, I think, has his own podcast, which we'll introduce all that mm. next week in 35, 18. But. Next week, you can look forward to an extra voice on the podcast. It's going to be great. Yeah. All right, everyone.
Have a wonderful day and don't forget to read your scriptures. Bye, y'all. Bye. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life.